0: Life Audio.
1: Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant Podcast. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries, www.gospel-app.com. So for you newbies, this is a rant, not just a Bible study or a Bible teaching. We're going to go places... uh, that most dare not, and so you can be troubled or disagree, or you can sit back and enjoy the ride. I'm just going to say a lot of things that you probably have not heard before. I think they're all legit, or I wouldn't be saying them, but but there is room for disagreement. So like any rant, just listen, weigh it, study it, look at the passages, think and see if it has merits, and get back to me. Bill at gospel-app.com. I love your feedback. We're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, we need to get the Sermon on the Mount right, I think we have been historically and biblically sloppy. Invite your friends, invite your enemies, tell your Bible study group. We're cool with that. Uh, we want to add a couple hundred or more new listeners, send it to your email list, put it on your Facebook, and thanks ahead of time. Again, feedback, bill at gospel com. You won't be the first, believe me. And again, if you're new to us, welcome. We've just finished looking at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. We're going to do some review today, so you came at a very good time. But special day before we plunge in, many of you already know that the Gospel Rant is beginning to partner this podcast with Life Audio. Uh, So that means a few changes, not too many, but here's one. We're going to take a break to hear from a sponsor. Yeah, that's right, a sponsor. When we come back, we'll get back into the Sermon on the Mount, so stick around. Hey, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that, especially for those of you who are just joining us. I'm going to do a creative, interpretive version of the Sermon on the Mount eventually. Uh, We're starting off slowly. I'm I'm calling it a screenplay. You get the sense. So it's very interpretive. And you can go back and pick up earlier ones from chapter 4 of Matthew. Uh, But to get the new section going, let me read my version of the Beatitudes. So sit back and enjoy. Jesus was so very busy in those early days. He and his disciples walked through the region of Galilee from the Mediterranean coastal villages and ports to the towns and burbs in the hill country along the Megiddo Valley and, of course, the cities along the lake. He taught whenever he could in the Jewish synagogues, but he didn't stop there. He shared the good news with anyone, Jew or not. And he did so much more than proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. He healed people. Crowds merged upon him because they heard in their villages and countries that he was a great healer. And it's true. He healed people afflicted with every kind of disease or sickness. Jesus merely touched them, and they were healed, clean, pure. He healed those who had long suffered from debilitating chronic pain, those with seizures and those paralyzed, No healer or religious doctor could do any of this. Jesus was unique. Oh, and I do not want to forget, he also commanded, and the demonic spirits fled from the poor people who were consumed. The disciples were speechless, and the crowds kept swelling. And I also should say that Jesus didn't take any money, no strings at all, no shaming, no judgment. He just healed them, all of them, as they were. And so you can imagine that with That kind of news going out, people came from everywhere, from beyond Galilee, all over Syria, from Phoenicia and the port cities of Tyre and Sidon on the Med Sea to Damascus, even as far away as the Euphrates River. People came from Judea, from Perea, from the Decapolis. So to be clear, from the north, south, east, and west, Jesus did not disappoint. There came a day Jesus was healing and teaching on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, just east of Capernaum. If you've seen the shore, you know that it can't handle such a vast crowd. So Jesus moved up the hillside and sat down. He appeared to be ready to address the entire crowd. I want to say something about the crowd. It should go without saying that these were not a Jewish crowd alone. And to be clear, within the crowd, there were many different Jewish groupings. There were a few from Judea. You could tell because they were dressed like Jews and for the most part huddled together they were They knew Greek but would prefer to speak in Aramaic. Then there were the Galilean Jews from the central hill country around Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. They had a reputation of being separatist from Rome, and to a person all had lost someone a father or brother or friend in the great uprising a few decades earlier. One person has described them as being passive aggressive. I would add, sad. The Judean Jews did not think well of them at all. They were societally mixed breeds, or so it was argued. The Galilean Jews pushed back, calling the Judean Jews cowards and slaves. Well, you get the idea. Then there were the Galilean Jews who lived to service the great Roman artery, the Via Maris. They were Jews, sure, but they worked really hard to look like Romans, talk Greek, and Just not be offensive. Their livelihoods depended upon fitting in and getting along. Well, neither of the former two groups were comfortable with them either. But all of these Jewish ghettos were surrounded by and immersed in peoples from just about every people group in the world, at least from our perspective. Now, to be sure, they did not come to be converted to Judaism. No, they came to see the Jewish boy wonder and to hopefully get some immediate pain relief from their stuckness. There was something that the people had in common. They were the tokoi. The root of that word is tosos, to cower or to cringe. I mean, you get the idea, right? They were the abject poor, the abysmally impoverished, those completely dependent upon others to make it. In honor-shame culture, you are ashamed if you get stuck with illnesses and rashes and madnesses and middle disorders No, no one wants you around. You are an unspeakable. One observer noted that it was a host of the miserable, the guilt burdened, the lonely, the incurably ill, the careworn, and the poor people who are haggarden by anxieties of all kind. No rabbi would associate with this tragic rabble until Jesus. That is, these were the people that Jesus had come for, and they were drawn to him like a magnet. These were those who would be the foundation of his movement. Jesus was a phenom, and all the world wanted a piece of him, but particularly those who were at the very end of their ropes. Jesus moved through the burgeoning crowd of unclean desperates and climbed about midway up the gentle rolling slope littered with huge black basalt boulders. When he thought he had found just the right spot, he stopped, sat down on a very large basalt rock, Some Jewish scholars have pointed out that this is exactly what Moses did when he presented the Jews with the two tablets from God. Interesting, am I right? Jesus signaled to the crowd that he was ready to address them. It took a little while for the murmuring to wind down into silence. When he had their full attention, he waved his hands over them and proclaimed something that was so wild and so provocative, in fact, unbelievable, that he had to repeat it a number of times No one saw this coming no one. The crowds, circumcised and uncircumcised, were perplexed and troubled, Ah, uh, but I will confess there were more than a few that started to dance. Enviable are you who were formerly unenviable, because now God is your benefactor husband. Enviable are you, the inconsolable, because I bring you close and comfort you myself. Enviable are the humiliated, the disinherited. You will experience the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. Enviable are you who are obsessed with fixing all of the brokenness and disparity in your own selves, relationships, culture, and in the world around you, particularly related to restoration to favor with God. You will experience that and more, I will see to it. Enviable are the merciful to others. That tells me that you're experiencing his mercy for you over and over Enviable are you who rest dependent in God's arms like a newborn child. You will see his face smiling upon you and know that he is there for you. Enviable are you who lean into being reconcilers versus dividers. That tells me that you have the new heart of a child of God. Do you know just how enviable you are, you the persecuted ones, when others have systematically organized programs to harass and oppress you because you are doing good to others instead of just yourself? Reflecting my DNA to a beat-up, marginalized, every-man-for-himself world? Hear this. They can't take the kingdom of heaven away from you. Oh, your enviable situation. Whenever people unjustly speak disparagingly of you, intentionally harass you, purposely make up and say evil things about you, they are deceivers. All of this is done strictly because you're with me. Rejoice, and even greatly rejoice, because your wages, what you didn't earn but were earned perfectly for you by me, and so it is as if you really did earn them, your wages are vast in heaven waiting for you. Don't be surprised that the so-called righteous, the self-proclaimed religious moralist, will persecute you, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There it is. What do you think? Well, listen, we need to take another break. After the break, we'll chat some more about the Beatitudes and what difference they make to our lives today. Stick with us. Hey, welcome back. Well, did the reading, the expanded translation version resonate with you? I mean, did it make sense? Did it, did it did it capture some of the humanity, some of the sense of the crowd and what they were getting from Jesus, what Jesus was trying to communicate? I guess what I'm asking is, was it relevant? Because so many Christians read the Beatitudes and feel no better off after they've read them. They hear sermon series, they leave, they walk away going, wow, well, yeah, th- those are interesting. I should do those. but. They primarily leave unchanged, but hopefully not here, not at Gospel Rant. The Sermon on the Mount is the cornerstone of Jesus's larger expression of the gospel of his kingdom. The Beatitudes are the cornerstone of the Sermon on the Mount, and the very first Beatitude is the cornerstone of the whole thing, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Listen, if your church or organization is looking for a legit vision statement without paying all the money to consultants— Take a look at Matthew 5, 3. I mean, that really captures the heart of Jesus. It's the cornerstone, and we need to get this right. Uh, FYI, to that end, I'm spending lots of time on the Sermon on the Mount, not just the Gospel Rant podcast or this extended version but I'm also writing a couple of other books. One is a historic novel, lots of fun, easy read. I'm just about done with it. I call it the Rabboni. It's from the point of view of Matthew, 10 years after he wrote his first gospel. And he's on the mission field in Ethiopia and is unpacking his earlier gospel because he gets all kinds of questions on the mission field like, what happened to Lazarus? Or how did Jesus actually pray? Don't you want to know that? <laughs> I, th- I do. Or what was the look on Jesus' face when he said that? Uh, Those kind of questions, the the personal questions that you would ask if Matthew were here. The Rust transcript is is being edited, should be published soon. Uh, The feedback I've gotten initially from people who are reading it is great. They call it fun, relevant, biblically accurate, a great read. Uh, That's the Rabboni. The second project is a video series uh, with small group study workbooks called Jesus Said What? And it's going to be two sets. The first one looks at the Beatitudes in detail. The next one's going to look at the larger uh, umbrella of the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's a engage Bible study. This that's what we've done here at uh, Gospel App for for young adults, twenty five to forty, uh, to get people engaged and dialoguing in a safe place, getting everybody involved. We found a way to do that. We call it engage. There are rules of engagement. It's a lot of fun. So I'll let you know when that, those are out as well. If you want to know, email me at bill at gospel-app.com. Just a, put, let me put your name on a list and let you know when, when both or either are out. Now, I mentioned the Rabboni. I want to read a section from that uh, to, to finish this podcast. So here, Matthew is talking about Jesus. He's on the mountain. He's saying the very first beatitude, Okay. So I hope you enjoy Love your feedback, Bill, at gospel-app.com. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus smiled and repeated his first words. You who came with no one envying your life or story, now you are people truly to be envied. Why? You are now people of the high God benefactor, the God of glory. Well, there was a moment of silence and people looked at one another for clarification in a sweeping murmur rolled over the slope. And all of that was awkwardly interrupted by an aged man just an arm's length below where Jesus sat. "'What did he say?' the broken old crippled far too loudly inquired of his daughter. You know, the way a hearing-impaired person might misjudge how loud their voice really is. The man was draped in tattered old clothes, his body painfully twisted and bent over." his wispy white hair helplessly blowing in the nearly constant breeze that came from the lake, red open sores covering the exposed parts of his emaciated body. He was not long for this world. He and his daughter were sitting exposed to the Galilean sun on one of the large black basalt rocks that littered the northern slope. He leaned his tired head on his daughter's shoulder for support, and clearly his hearing was almost gone. What did he say? He loudly blurted out again, rolling his head slightly toward her face. Tell me, daughter, what did he say? Heaven is what? For a moment, the crowd's attention was jerked away from Jesus, only for a moment. His daughter respectfully shushed him and said, "'The the Rabboni said,' she looked down to the ground and thought, wanting to get it right and to make clear for her, Abba, "He, "'he said that you were Makarios, Papa, and the kingdom of heaven is yours.' The old man blinked his nearly blinded eyes a couple of times, probably to try to get a little focus. He rolled his head on her shoulders ever so slightly to look skyward. A peacefulness flowed over his face, his brow unfurrowed for the first time in a long while. The kingdom? He coughed a couple times in an unsuccessful attempt to clear ever present mucus from his lungs. It's it's mine? Yes, papa? He paused. And then, the most surprising thing, he laughed. God is God is mine again, he cried out. Then he laughed out loud again, not a mocking laugh, but a joyous, hilarious one. It started as a deep, resonant snigger, but then erupted as a guffaw. If he could, he would have danced. Jesus, the great Rabboni, paused to intently watch as this scene unfolded, as if the old man was an audience of one. He smiled and gazed directly into the face of this broken man. Shockingly, the great Rabboni slid off the basalt boulder he sat on, took a couple of steps toward the old man, grabbed both of his old shaking hands, and danced with him. Actually, for him. They both laughed. It was such an endearing scene. Jesus was fully there, fully engaged. He was like no other Rabboni ever. It was as if to say, I feel that joy too, old man. That is why I have come. Makar is yours. Enjoy. Enter your rest. The old man, for a moment in the smiling presence of Jesus, felt the embrace of God, the arms of heaven reaching around him, hugging him as he was, not as he should be or could be. He was, in the highest possible sense, lipne Elohim an ancient Hebrew concept of being in the presence of God, but this time not anxious about God's wrath or disappointment, but truly knowing God's favor towards him, close enough to see his smile over him, to feel his joy over him. He couldn't help but laugh. I can testify that laughter and gratefulness are most often fingerprints of what worship looks like in Jesus' kingdom, Laughter and dancing are the most common fruit of a person becoming makarioi, blessed. To put it another way, in this new kingdom, the Tokoi, those who believe that they have no hope for joy or happiness or real intimacy, feeling valued, and who know that they cannot or won't be able to dig themselves out of the holes therein, they are the ones who now find themselves Makarios, blessed. They dance at last as they are, not as they should be or should have been. Quite a surprising thing, really. The Tokoi would never, ever expect that. They haven't felt the urge to laugh for some time. They had long given up on experiencing Macario's Healing all the physical ailments among the crowd was great, but in the end, temporary. Jesus had come to rescue Tokoi from their shame and celestial loneliness. Physical healing is great, but it does not accomplish such rest. Far from it. Jesus' goal was not just health but Makarios. I know this now to be true, and I've said it before, but it's important. You can be Tokoi and Makarioi at the same time. You can be deeply wounded, suffering from ongoing shame, a discard from society, impaired and broken, and still be in that remarkable place of the Makarioi favor of the heavens. I'm sad to report that the old man died just a week or so after his audience with Jesus. I know this because his daughter shared the account with me personally, She is now part of my mission team here in Aksum. Bernice is remarkable, by the way. I do not think that we could do this without her. She has single-handedly organized our work for all the impoverished in the tribal regions of the desert. I taught her accounting and finance, and now she runs it all. Bernice told me that she brought her dad that day at great cost and sacrificial effort because on top of all of his physical issues— He had also been suffering for a long time from a deep malaise. She told me that as a young man, he had great faith in God, but he had sometime before just stopped believing. In fact, stopped saying anything at all. He would wake up in the morning and just silently sit in his chair, staring at the barren wall until it was time to go to bed again. She couldn't remember the last time her father smiled, much less laughed, until he engaged Jesus, or better, Jesus engaged him. Jesus' gift for him had changed something in him. Then, until he died, his depression was changed to joy every day until his last breath on earth. His last words were about hearing angels laughing over him, and then he quietly was brought to his father with a smile still on his face. In his last few days, he had become a mighty witness, a living testimony of Jesus' unique kingdom. Well, I hope you enjoyed that look at the book, The Eye." If you want to know more, let me know, bill at gospel-app.com. I need to stop the podcast right here for today. Help us get the words of the podcast out to, each, uh, to other people. We believe that we need to get the Sermon on the Mount right. It's so much more than a TEDS talk about godly principles. It is that, but it's so much more. Matter of fact, if we just say it's that, we're in real trouble. We mess it up big time. The Sermon on the Mount is what happens when the kingdom of God bumps into beat-up, needy, isolated, unworthy people. I like how John Barclay puts it. He's speaking about Paul, but the same could be said of the message of Jesus on that slope in Galilee. Quote, Paul, we shall see, had an unusual, creative, and socially radical understanding of the grace of God arising from the gift Christ. Whereas good gifts were, and still are, normally thought to be distributed best to fitting or worthy recipients, Paul took the Christ gift, the ultimate gift of God to the world, to be given without regard to worth, and in the absence of worth, an unconditioned or incongruous gift that did not match the worth of its recipients, but created it. Close quote. Well, once again, I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their new partnership with Gospel Rant on this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer and Bible study and parenting, and now one on the Gospel Rant. So until next time, take heart, child of God.